Data orchestration, the often unsung hero of data engineering and data pipelines. Sean Nath and I are back with a new season, and first up is a deeper discussion on data orchestration and just why this often lesser desired portion of the data engineer's day is just simply so critical in this episode of Data Aware, a podcast about all things data engineering. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of the Data Aware podcast. We know it's been a while. We hope you guys have missed us as much as we have missed you. I am here today with Sean Knapp. Hello, Sean. Hello. Hello. I have missed us having these chats and these conversations. I have really missed these too. I feel like we're doing these Zoom calls all day long, but these are actually a way more fun way of doing it. I know. And we don't, I mean, we, again, we have them. We just don't record them, which maybe we should. And we'll start doing this again. (laughs) I I think this is a good idea. Yeah, I think so too. So super, super excited um, to kick off what we are calling season two of the Data Aware podcast. So stoked you guys will be hearing some really great content. We have some awesome stuff planned for the coming weeks. So what we are starting with is a topic that, is near and dear to us here at Ascend and something that as we were talking about, quote, season two, we realized we hadn't really talked about that much as we did the first series of episodes. And that's data orchestration, which is a really a core piece of what we do here at Ascend and B, just of data engineering overall. So we're going to dive into that and get into the nitty gritty of data orchestration today. So. Sean, I'm going to turn it over to you to explain what likely most people who are listening to this podcast already know. But for those who may not, like my parents who listen to this podcast because they like hearing me talk, what is data orchestration? (laughs) Happy to. And uh, similarly, my parents also listen to this podcast. So hi, mom. I know, right? I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of literature out there and a lot of people are talking about what data orchestration is or can be and so on. And to demystify it a little bit, I, I do believe it is helpful to boil it down to some of the basics, which is, look, in the data ecosystem, we have incredibly large volumes of data across a lot of different tools and systems. And we have a lot of uh, these engines that can process data and create these new derived insights and valuable refined data sets for us. Mm-hmm. And orchestration is, is a pretty simple and straightforward way of, it is the thing that tells these systems how to process the data. Right. We hear a lot about ETL and ELT. We hear about reverse ETL these days. Yep. We hear about data replication, ingestion, uh, and so on. As we have these systems that store, that process data, that move data around, the orchestration methodologies and the orchestration systems are the things that help us automatically tell those systems what to do as ideally, as optimally and efficiently as possible. That makes sense to me, at least, and I'm sure it makes sense to everybody out there. Um, Are there different steps in the orchestration process? Like I'm going to assume based on what I know about data engineering now, after a little over a year uh, here at Ascend, you ingest data in, 
you transform it, it goes out to somewhere to be either used in BI tools or to be used in AI and ML platforms or to be used in wherever you want to use data. But the idea, to your point, behind orchestration is that do you want this run daily? Do you want it run hourly? Like there are all these different kinds of things that you can be doing to orchestrate how all of this is happening. Do you want this run before this? Do you want how, however that is? Are there steps that we should be aware of? Is there like a process behind this that people should be aware of? Are there just different things that people should think about as they are thinking about the orchestration process? I, th I think definitely yes. And, and you know, trying to at least demystify some of this at, at the start, I do believe that it crosses whether you're doing ETL or EOT, anytime you're, you're frankly going to do something with your data in some way, you're going to run some code on your data, you're going to do orchestration. Mm -hmm. And I think there's various levels of sophistication that people work their way through that is sort of helpful when you kind of graduate from one level to the next as frankly, your needs continue to climb. You know, in really sort of basic steps, oftentimes people are generally starting to do orchestration uh, with what we would call a timer-based model, or even for those of us uh, who who long for those simple old days, uh, cron, uh, <laughs> where you you just cron set a job. cron job and it's every day at two a.m. do X, right. and you know X may literally be read this data out of my warehouse or my data lake, and for example, let's say it was your website visitors, and it is count up the number of website visitors by browser or by geography mm -hmm. and sum those up and write it into a warehouse or a database table that powers a BI tool. And just do that once a day so that everybody in the next morning when they come in to see the website traffic uh, has that visualization ready in their BI tools. This is the joke of oftentimes I tell folks, big data oftentimes starts as just really large pivot tables uh, and we're <laughs> counting things up and, and slicing and dicing in different ways, but conceptually not too different. And that's really at large scale, a basic or a basic orchestration in a pipeline right. would just be a timer-based one. Yeah. It's funny. I think a lot of people in different job functions maybe don't realize how much data engineering work and orchestration goes in behind the scenes of what they just natively see on a day-to-day basis, even just in tools that they're normally using. Like you say this and you're talking about website visitors. And I think back to, it used to drive me batty. We do a lead gen meeting every Monday. And one of the reports that I used to present that we swapped just to another report now is, you will remember, um, was a report coming out of Google Search Console. And it used to drive me nutsy because I would pull it every Monday morning. And it would always say like last updated four hours ago. And I'm like, but I want it updated now. Can I have it updated now? And it's like, no, no, the orchestration behind it had it updated, which was, I think at that point, like 2 a.m. Pacific time, you know, whatever, like whatever time it was updated, it was updated at that point. And that was what the orchestration massive orchestration tool behind, you know, Google search console had things updated at. And that is just in the marketer's day-to-day -day life cycle of pulling their reports, they it, it, in every tool, there's something like that being done. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting where you don't always, 
you don't always think about it, but that's the work that's being done behind the scenes. Well, I think that that's a, a, a really cool segue to, you know, some of the other things too, that we see in orchestration is oftentimes, you know, most people started to even, you know, the monolithically large, incredibly successful tech companies will still do things that, that largely are sort of cron or timer based mm-hmm. trigger models. Oftentimes because you get big drops of data at a particular time, you know, all of your data is uh, been correlated properly, so you can just do a big block batch of it for for the previous day. And it tends to be fairly efficient. Then what we start to see over time is people, they, you start to get two new levels of complexity tied to orchestration. You know, one is uh, trigger based, and the other is related to that, which is dependency based. You know, the, this is the notion of well, what if I want to orchestrate my data faster? Or what if I have multiple things I'm trying to do uh, as steps along the way? So trigger-based models are usually the, when some other external event happens, start my orchestration process. And it's usually something that starts on the the far left of a a graph, which we'll talk about in a second, but at the far left of a graph. Mm -hmm. The second thing that we see that that I mentioned is the dependency-based. And this is really where we've started to see more advancement, I, I would call it the the 200 level mm-hmm. based model of data orchestration, which is the, don't just run this big thing. So this is what we call the 200 level course of data orchestration, which is really the, what happens when I have this chain of dependencies mm-hmm. that I need to manage uh, together. For example, this first thing happens but then I need to have these other three things happen afterwards right. and they're interdependent. Uh, and so this is what's often called the uh, a DAG or a directed acyclic graph, mm-hmm. which is basically a bunch of steps that don't loop back on themselves. So it always goes usually drawn left to right mm-hmm. or top to bottom uh, and it doesn't loop. And the idea behind this 200 level notion of orchestration is follow the chain of dependencies. And so long as a previous step is successful, we can continue on in those downstream uh, subsequent steps. This is where we start to get some really interesting pipelines being built as they can follow these dependency chains of a a directed acyclic graph. Is there a world in which a company would do this, but not have orchestration, not orchestrate their pipelines or not orchestrate a subset of their pipelines and just say, no, we're going to run this once and then we'll come back and run it manually as we want to. I'm just trying to think of what there might be use cases for on kind of the quote anti-orchestration chain and what, what the benefit of that would be and then what maybe the pain points of that are that would move those pipeline, like make those people move from doing that to going, okay, never mind. We actually do need to orchestrate this stuff. Sure. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes you, you will see teams uh, start with, Hey, we're just going to take all of our data mm-hmm. and we're just going to put it into a data, a data warehouse. Right. Oftentimes, right. Usually where you'll see teams uh, start doing that. And the, usually it's tied to two use cases or patterns. One would be, hey, we're a data science team, our data itself doesn't change very often. For example, uh, it's patient health records. Mm. We're doing a bunch of research. We just got a huge drop of data for last month. And 
We're just looking for patterns. Okay. As you go and try and productionize your insights and and, and whatever models you start to develop, then you might want to orchestrate so it's a continuously updating system. But at the start, you're probably okay with static data. Right. The other pattern we oftentimes see oftentimes comes from analytics side of use cases, which is, hey, I have a bunch of data. I'm literally just going to drop it straight into Snowflake or BigQuery or my data warehouse. And I'm going to dump all of that raw data in. And I'm going to run my BI tools directly off of that raw data. And you'll, you'll see that happen a, a fair bit. Uh, and honestly, it, it keeps your world fairly simple. And so long as you're not hitting cost or performance issues, it's probably fine. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we actually see happen a lot is people just are they're dropping that data and they're running their BI tools. And honestly, what generally starts to happen is they either get expensive or they start to get slow because the data volumes increase mm-hmm. or you want more canonical models that you can build on top of. And that's yeah. really the point where you start to see that introduction uh, of data pipelines is where teams are, are looking at, hey, you know, I'm doing the analysis of how many users with this language in their browser came to our website every day. And gosh, it feels like we're reprocessing the same data over and over and over and over again. Right. Shouldn't we be able to just compact that down and only take the small incremental new data and analyze that and get a more efficient system? So that's actually the, the second, usually in the analytics style use case. And then actually I would say that the third that we see it, it well, the third sort of driver as why people build pipelines is look, you have a bunch of different teams, they all have their own data systems, and this starts to get a little bit more into that world of data fabrics and yeah. data meshes. Which is, look, we got a team over here and they're rocking it on our data science teams, rocking over here on you know, Databricks, and our analytics teams over here and they're rocking it on Snowflake, and they need to go share their data. And we just need data pipelines to actually replicate that data across because. They don't know which systems they want to use or they want to fundamentally use different systems. And so we need to make sure that we can at least connect the, their data so that they can share it across those teams. That makes sense. And I can also imagine that to some degree, if you have five pipelines, your need for orchestration is very different than if you have 5,000. Yeah, and I think the you know we ran this survey last year and I'm sure we're, we're going to find um, similar results this year, which was when we ran our data aware poll survey, 96% of data teams are at or over capacity. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big things that data teams require and, and, and gravitate towards is automation yep. as they don't want to have to keep clicking the button and run, you know, manually running the thing over and over and over again. They want to automate it so they can move on to build the new thing. There's an overwhelming demand for us all to go build the new thing. And so we do see the more teams scale, the more complex the worlds get, the more they, they need to lean on automation yeah. uh, to really streamline their own day-to-day. So automation or orchestration rather, especially on the automation side of it, but orchestration in general, it touches kind of all pieces of it. It touches all pieces of the pipeline. It touches ingestion. It touches transformation. It touches the delivery out, but it touches the the kind of maintenance, governance, like just the overall optimization also of the pipeline, which is kind of the plumbing of the plumbing, for lack of a better way of putting it just right now off the top of my head. 
if you will, which is like the nitty gritty that really nobody wants to do. But isn't that, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I agree. I, I do not think any engineer wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what I really want to do? I want to go orchestrate some pipelines. Right. I, I'm, I'm just not sure that's on the, the, the top hit list for anybody. Never know. I, I'm sure there's a, a handful of glorious souls who we wish we could replicate uh, who are willing to do that. But I, I think the you know, building of data pipelines and, and creating that sort of like powerful impact yeah. is really compelling. But I think the the hard part that oftentimes happens with orchestration is you're, you're creating these constructs and in, in these instructions, right? Like literally read this data from S3, perform this code on it, and then push that result to, you know, wherever. And that's cool the first few times you do it, but then, you know, usually what happens in orchestration is the things you codified into that pipeline, right? run on this cluster with this many resources at this time. The thing about orchestration is we may codify that once, but the data is forever changing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting the data may be larger. It may be, uh, we may have just gone through Black Friday. And so now our traffic volume is two, three X what it was before. I've just got a big drop of new data from a partner at the start of the month. And so all of a sudden those assumptions we made no longer fit and the thing breaks. And that's like the classic you know, pain point that we see as, as engineers, even when we go and write uh, orchestration code is, I got paged at three or four in the morning because that pipeline warped because something, right? There was a new column or the driver boomed and ran out of memory, litany of different sort of very common ways that things fail. Everybody loves 3 a.m. pages. Yeah, it's the 3 a.m. Oom page. It's fantastic. We've all received yeah, them. Everybody gets the heart rate going. <laughs> Great cardio. Um, it's definitely the kind of cardio that you want. <laughs> it's just, I don't get a marketing person. It's, if I get a 3 a.m. page, like the website's down, that's not, you know, that's not good. I can only imagine. And I only get those, I can think of like on one hand, the number of times I've gotten that kind of thing in my life. So, I do not envy you guys at all. Well, hopefully we're we're all doing a good job of getting people out of that pain too. Yes. But it, it, you know, for a lot of people in the data ecosystem, it's, it's still an all too common of a pain. That's why you need automated orchestration. Um, so what are some of the other, just what are some of the other cool things that can do? So we've talked about, okay, so it helps with some of the maintenance. I mean, and we've talked about some of the other things, but Talk to me about just, and we've touched on it a little bit, I think in different ways, but talk to me about some of the cool things that it can do when you're just talking about like the transformations themselves, when you're talking about the code itself, like, I mean, that is the whole reason we're running data pipelines is the transformation in the code. So other than just saying, I want to run this, you know, at, at this time, you know, in this number of times, or I want to run this on at midnight every day. Is there, what does orchestration do for you? What are some of the cool things? Or let's put it this way, since I'm just rambling, I'll ramble on a little bit more. Maybe a really fun question will come out of this. What are some of the really, really fun things either you've done or you've seen a team do with orchestration? I know that sounds bizarre, but like what's something where you've seen a team orchestrate a pipeline and you're like, 
oh, dang, that was smart. Like, that's a cool way of doing that. Yeah, definitely. As we get to the sort of really advanced parts, I think there's, as we kind of work our way up, you know, the basic, the 100 level orchestration is the just get, you know, something to run, get some piece of code to run at a particular time on a particular piece of, of data. And usually that, I think that's the, the, the baseline level of, I just want to go do something. Usually as an individual, you're trying to help, you know, optimize your job a little bit. Right. The sort of 200 level start to be the, I'm going to run a pipeline that's moving data around and doing a little bit of uh, multi-step transformation logic, which we get to that higher level of value of, we're you know, connecting across uh, data silos and data teams and data systems. And I'd say the, the sort of 300 levels start to be the, I'm creating these derived new valuable data sets. Uh, and this is something you know, we start to see uh, a bunch of our customers do too, which is I have data coming in from 15, 20 different systems. They are reading from cloud APIs to cloud warehouses to somebody's on-prem Oracle database. And I'm taking all of this data in and I am creating new derived data sets, refined right. models of data that nobody else has access to. And then I'm actually taking that data and continuously publishing it. Yeah. You know, how we've talked about before, as we go and, and publish data sets, you know, in the Ascend product, we call these data feeds. Uh, people in, in data mesh and data fabric, our world have you know, slightly different terminology for them. But the, the sort of net of, of what these are is they're the data pipeline equivalent of in a microservices world of an API. They are a refined, published new data product that the entire rest of the world can, can build on top of, or at least the entire rest of your team and company. And so I'd say from a business value perspective, the ability to continue to up-level people into working with these higher levels of refinement of data uh, is really cool and exciting. And then the, you know, I'd say, probably maybe even the 400 level we start to see mm-hmm. people tap into is at really large scale and at really large volume. How do you run these things efficiently? How do you get them to run faster? How do you only reprocess data when you need to? Uh, how do you keep things running more tightly and more compactly? You know, especially as you build more and more of these, uh, your cost doesn't explode on you and that your need for infrastructure doesn't explode on you too. Uh, so you can still run a really efficient ship that fuels the rest of the business. Makes sense. If you could change anything about the way you see orchestration happening or the people orchestrating their pipelines and or the way current orchestration tools, including ours, handle orchestration in the next six months, if you could snap your fingers orchestration changes what would you do what do you think is the problem with orchestration right now like how would you fix it if you think you we need to you can say we don't need to uh, i definitely think we need to fix it i'm pretty clear mind and strongly opinionated on this one i love that yes i do I, i'm sure look i i think the way most uh data pipelines and in, in the data ecosystem today is orchestrated to be honest, I think for the most part, it's still fairly primitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe that is a byproduct of the fact that orchestration isn't a cool or sexy problem to go solve. 
I think it is a, a, a critical problem to solve. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the coolest thing to go solve. And as a result, we haven't solved it en masse in the industry. But you know, the when we think about orchestration, you're moving data through a pipeline. In many ways, it is the inverse of what a query planner and a query optimizer does for a database. Right. And what I see most uh, pipelines as doing today is they're largely manually constructed query plans. When I say manually constructed, they are based off of uh, highly uh, codified rules with conditional logic uh, that is based off of assumptions of how that pipeline will run, based off of assumptions of the cluster, its capacity, its workloads at the point in time where that code was written, and based off of the nature of that data, the volume, velocity, variety, et cetera, of that data, uh, all at the point in time where that piece of code, that pipeline was envisioned and right. uh, built. And the problem is then, even though the data itself is very much in motion, the definition of that pipeline is very static. And as a result, uh, that is quite problematic as it is prone to break a lot. Uh, and that's what we see, I think, across a lot of the, the ecosystem. And, and that is one of the reasons why when we think about this notion of imperative versus declarative pipelines, mm -hmm. We see in most maturing software engineering domains, this move from imperative to declarative. In an imperative world, uh, we're describing the how. Declarative world, we describe the what. Uh, especially for pipelines, when they're in continuous motion, you have that ability to, in a declarative world, automate far more and provide a technology, usually in the form of, of a control plane, mm -hmm. a domain-specific context-aware control plane, which is a lot of fancy words for basically just a, a badass orchestration system right. uh, that's always running, that understands everything that's going on. But in the creation of doing so, we now actually can introduce new technologies that can automate and adapt far better than statically crafted, manually crafted pipelines. I think we're still very much in the early days of maturity around orchestration and adoption of declarative technologies, similar to what we've seen in, in other spaces like Terraform for infrastructure, Kubernetes uh, for container orchestration, React mm -hmm. for front-end engineering. As data engineering and data orchestration matures, I think we too will move much more declarative in nature. Run that through for me of what that means for the industry. Like I'm not a data engineer, because I think as everybody's picked up on, hopefully by now that we're in season two, they've picked up on the fact that I'm not a data engineer. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming based on what I, I mean, based on what I do know and based on what I've heard you say, and um, I'm going to throw out the high level business benefit because that's what I do as a marketer. And then I'll let you dive in deep on what this actually means for the technical users. I'm assuming that the like running this down means self-service data pipelines, AKA more people can do more things with data. You get data products to market or out to the business faster. And you can just overall accelerate 
how quickly you get data from source to business user and whatever they're doing, whether it's analytics, AI, ML, you know, whatever that might be, just faster, easier, because more people can work with it. Because when you say declarative versus imperative, you're talking about being able to use something like SQL, which even I can sometimes do. Is that, am I on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's very much about broadening the reach and accessibility of a, a particular domain, in this case, data pipelines. Uh, and it is about being able to go faster and spend less time on maintenance, which gets to the, the tremendous amount of business value too. I do also think too, and, and oftentimes, you know, we find with us on the engineering side too, we're, we're like, ah, but that means like, we're making it easy and we solve really interesting hard problems. And I think that's that's one of the things that bears you know repeating many, many times over the course of this podcast, which is even moving to a declarative model doesn't necessarily just simplify down the data pipelines. It removes you out of the muck, yeah, as Bezos sure. used to say for you know the introduction of AWS, which is a lot of the things that we have to write today. We don't need to spend that time writing code for anymore. And more importantly, you know, we look out across our customers, for example, and they're building incredibly sophisticated data pipelines, incredibly sophisticated, you know, and, and they're doing a ton of them, some in SQL, some in Python, some in Scala. They're solving problems everywhere from, you know, the supply chain for food to warehousing equipment, to pool equipment, yeah. to containers. In ports, uh, and, and so they're all yeah. solving these really interesting problems in really hard ways. And, and I would contend the the reason that they're able to solve those problems is they're not mucking around in the orchestration part. And instead, they're spending all their time applying their intellectual horsepower to the data itself. Uh, and I think that's where we get this profound impact uh, is by being able to focus on the core problem of data that we're trying to solve, not the movement of it. That's a super valid point. Being able to actually work on the business logic, being able to create the business logic that like makes the thing do the thing. Well, I think that's a fantastic place to leave this off unless you have anything else that you want to add about orchestration. I, I think this is a, a great first section on orchestration. Okay. Well, Sean... Thank you very much. And we will, like I said, I am very much looking forward to continuing to do these more and more, which we will. You guys, like I said, we have some really exciting ones coming up. So looking forward to it. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Leslie. Well, folks, there you have it. The hows and whys of data orchestration and just what Sean, well, really both of us, think the future of data orchestration should bring. If you're interested in hearing more about how automation can help you with your orchestration efforts, you are in luck. We recently announced the inaugural Data Automation Summit. Head on over to Ascend.io to learn more and register for this free virtual conference. Welcome to a new era of data engineering.